What's up, Jets fans, and welcome to episode four of Jet Nation Live. We are your hosts, Dylan Terman and Glenn Naughton. Um, not quite the celebration we had last week coming off the win from Cleveland. This is um, a pretty unfortunate loss to Cincinnati. I'm not going to use the term a lot of people want to use right now. I'll kick it right off to you, Glenn. How you doing and how you feeling about this loss? Well, you know, listen, it's like I said after the game, I expected it to be a loss, um, but I expected the Jets to be a little bit more competitive. You just don't see talented teams start off 0-3. Like, it's so rare that it happens. You knew the Bengals were going to find a way to win, and I was fine with that. Um, what I wasn't fine with was another game without finding the end zone, uh, no touchdowns in both their home games this year. And I understand it's, you know, Joe Flacco back to earth, whatever, uh, you know, maybe played over his head the previous week. But he's still got to be better than he was. Um, and it just it's, you know, it's it's for me as a fan, like it's getting, uh, you know, like I said to you right, right before we started, I feel like and I've been told you know, I've been told this by other fans like, you know, you're too generous, you're too patient. You know, it's, sort of, it's understanding that Rome wasn't built in the day and all that. But at the same time, you, you got to see more progress than what we've seen. And and let's be honest, you know, if we're talking about progress, then this Sunday, the, the real football season starts for the Jets. Now you've got Zach Wilson and it's like, let's see what the kid can do. Let him out there. You know, you don't want him throwing the ball 55 times like Joe Flacco has been every week. Uh, but you don't want to baby him either. Give him a chance to make some big throws, but lean on the run game and hopefully get a win. Yeah, three three games into this season already. Obviously, all three with Joe Flacco at the quarterback, and it's been a roller coaster. Week one, we weren't sure what to do. We were mostly leaning on Flacco being terrible, which he was week one. And then week two, 300 uh, yards, four touchdowns, and we're all on like, oh, shoot, is this Joe Flacco's team when Zach Wilson is healthy? And now all of a sudden a stinker game. And I think it makes sense for him to, to, to go out on this note you know, ugly, have Zach come back and, you know, get this fan base generated back again. But uh, before we get too far into that, our topics for tonight, we're obviously going to go over the Bengals recap, like we said, typical loss. Um, we have a couple fiery matchups from that game. Um, Sauce versus Jamar Chase we're going to get into. I want to talk about Quinnen Williams versus Aaron Whitecotton and Jeff Ulbrich. Um, and then we're going to preview the Steelers. Um, expectations for what we think a Zach Wilson-led offense should look like against a team that has been struggling. Um, obviously some matchups to watch and this week we are going to remember our predictions um, last week however you both we both uh, predicted 27 to 12 would be the final so we got that right on the on the nose there so we didn't yeah, need to give it didn't make it to the air but that was our prediction exactly yeah that was exactly right on the nose and then at the end we're going to get into our uh, draft talk as usual some some matchups and prospects to watch for week five of college um, so yeah we'll start it off right there Bengals recap like I just said, 27 to 12, it was a loss. Um, you mentioned it, no touchdowns again at home. It's becoming unfortunate. Um, after week two, you know, the the miracle win in Cleveland, fans get really excited. The hype is growing a little bit for this team. And they go out and spend a ton of money on these tickets to go back to MetLife and see the, the Jets compete, hopefully, against the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, it wasn't really the case. Um, undisciplined, poor execution of the minor details that mounted into bigger problems later on. Um, a questionable, questionable game plan at best, I wrote. Um, all around boring brand of football from the Jets. Flacco just dropping back and dumping it down to the check down every time when he had wide open receivers multiple times. And I just, I, I wrote down right immediately, this is not sustainable. This game planning offensively and defensively will start offensively, but this game plan just isn't sustainable. Um, third down seven for 18. We're back down to under 40%. That's 39% conversion rate. 0 for three on fourth down, which is just garbage. You, when you're trying on fourth down, you want to actually have a shot. Obviously there's late game situations where you can't avoid it, but 0 for three is not good. 0 for two in the red zone, unacceptable again. Um, and, and I just immediately wrote, you can't lose like this at home. Like I said, the fans just went out and spent money on the game after a win, a September win, which we haven't had in almost five years. And there's excitement growing for once. And you come out and you lay an absolute egg. So surface level, I was just frustrated all around. It wasn't even the rookies. It was the veterans at this point. Um, Corey Davis on offense, John Franklin Myers, uh, LaMarcus Joyner again, having just silly mistakes. And I want to kick it right to you. On the surface, what were your thoughts coming out of the game, offensively or defensively? Well, it was, it, you know, the the lack of discipline was frustrating. And, and, you know, and I said it before, the I've been 
probably one of John Franklin Myers' biggest supporters. I've, you know, all the fans dogging him to see his production drop after he got his contract. I understand where those fans are coming from if you're just looking at the box score. Um, yeah. But, as, you know, you see on film, the guy's still going after it. He was, he's still had a, you know, a ton of QB pressures. And as I've said a million times, but you, you, QB pressures, it's not a sack, but you, you don't get a ton of those if you're mailing it in. You don't accidentally almost get to the quarterback. Yeah, I get it. It's not getting to the quarterback. Getting a quarterback off a spot isn't quite as effective as getting a sack, but you still don't just luck into those or at least a bunch of them. Um, mm-hmm. So the effort's been there from John Franklin Myers. I've supported him all this time, but that was an unbelievably dumb penalty. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a difference maker. It's a game changer. You're off the field. The drive is over, and you do something like that. And then the and, you know I tweeted after the game that damn that that touchdown pass where was it Whitehead or what? Yeah, I think it was Whitehead who didn't wrap up. I mean, come on, the, the NFL and I get it like. I get the highlight hits and I get that everybody wants to be on, you know, sports center and NFL network and all this. And they want to blow guys up and make their helmets mm-hmm. pop off and decleat them. I get all that. But when you do that in favor of fundamentals, that's what you get. You bounce off of a dude and he spins and takes it for 50, 60, 70 yards for a touchdown. And now you, now you lost points because you just didn't want to wrap them up because wrapping up doesn't make the highlights. And that it's, it's so nauseating, like little stuff like that. Dumb penalties. The Corey Davis one, of course, as I said, I didn't see that live. Most people didn't. Mm-hmm. Something's wrong with the feed. Then, uh, you know, you go back and watch it when the All-22 comes out. And it's just dumb. And and like you said, yeah. that's the veteran. Like, those are the those are the things you're supposed to look at and go, oh, rookie mistake, he'll learn. Like, no, you're a veteran guy. Um, so just, yeah, the lack of discipline was, was frustrating. The lack of fundamentals was frustrating. <clears throat> and let's face it, Robert Sala – um, you know, for anyone who praised him as a defensive guru genius when he got here, you're you're running out of, you know, I don't know at this point if you can still say that. Like, what has he done in 20 games? Um, you know, I mentioned you, Dylan. I tweeted out a little while ago. I went back and looked, and mm-hmm. he's been the head coach for 20 games. And in 17 of those 20 games, the Jets have given up 24 points or more. Which really, by today's standards, isn't horrible at the frequency you see teams scoring 30, 40 points. Right. But 24 isn't a great day. Uh, they've given up 24, 17 out of 20 times. One of the times they didn't was the Ron Middleton game. So really, there's only been two games with Robert Sala on the sidelines out of 19 where the defense has given up less than 24 points. And the teams that they held to less than 24 were like the Texans and the Jaguars who live in the basement with the Jets. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sam Darnold's uh, Panthers in his debut. Whoopee. So they've never faced a halfway decent team and not gotten their doors blown off on defense. And there's no – even if, you know, even if you wanted to give Salah a pass for all of last year, fine, let's be as generous as possible mm-hmm. and say that's not his fault. Great. Okay, so what happened when you just faced a team that's given up more sacks than any team in the last 20 weeks or last 20 games? Yep. You can get to the quarterback. You got three sacks. You know, one or two of them were were pretty late in the game when the result was decided. Um, and it's just, you know, you start to look at this and go, is this guy really is, – is this going to be another coach who comes to – the? you know, the Jets have become like the on-the-job training for head coaching in the NFL. Like, go to the Jets, make yep. your mistakes, you know, take your lumps, you know, uh, you know, learn along the way, get fired, and hopefully get a job somewhere else where you can be – find it for the next place, yep. Yeah, but the Jets are like the training ground – for uh for NFL head coaches. Not that all of them do well. You know, most of them fail. Mangini failed and and most of the guys who leave don't do well. But still the Jets are just like a, a you know somewhere for, for young coaches to get get a small taste of what it's like to be a head coach. Yeah, and I'll, I'll circle back to the F word you use there, fundamentals. And we could start on defense before we break into the offense on this one because fundamentals were just missing completely from this game you had miscommunications in the red zone for a second consecutive week you had two bonehead penalties one that kept a drive alive and one that just wasn't necessary because the play was was over he was the Marcus Joyner was not even on that personal foul sauce had him locked up obviously it was a catch already T Higgins did a great job holding on to the ball but they're just completely unacceptable penalties so my question before we dig into the defense was if these continue to happen and the veterans, not even the rookies, anybody at this point is keep continue to make these mistakes. Do they deserve to be benched? I feel like this is three, four five times now within the season. I can go all the way back to um, Quincy Williams against the Eagles in preseason when he depleted uh, Jalen Hurts 
uh, out of bounds. And Nick yeah. Sirianni was FU and uh, Rob Sala from across the sideline to pull his guy and Rob, he didn't do it. He just kept Quincy out there. So I think that's just one of the first signs. And it's obviously continued throughout the season. LaMarcus Joyner played 100 snaps. So he wasn't pulled after his DPI. Uh, John Franklin Myers, it was a third down and kept the drive alive. I didn't see what happened the next play. But he wasn't benched, essentially. So if this continues, does somebody have to get benched? Well, I mean, look, for Robert Sala, um, I, you know, I just talked about his, his results since taking over. Mm-hmm. You would imagine he would have enough. Uh, look, I say all the time, you know, I used to say this with Rex because the Jets got flagged a fair bit under Rex, and and I liked Rex. Like these are these guys are professionals. Mm-hmm. They know what the rules are and what the rules aren't. Like yep. they're at a point in their careers where a head coach shouldn't have to say, "Don't hit the guy after the whistle." Like mm-hmm. you know that, and you see guys getting flagged for it every week. So I don't I don't get on Salah for the fact that penalties are being committed. Like he has no control over that. Mm-hmm. But he sure as hell needs to like show a sense of urgency and pull guys right away and be like, get out, sit down for the next couple series, yeah. sit a guy for the game. I mean, look, you're not winning the damn Super Bowl. Exactly. I understand you're trying to win a game, but say, you know what? You need to sit down, come to me at halftime. I'll let you know how I feel. Maybe we'll put you in after the half. But for right now, you, you sit down and, and think about what's important to you. Um, and yet do something, but he hasn't. And that's another frustrating thing. You know, I think it's because Salah was so intense in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And we see all these clips of him going crazy on the sidelines and screaming. You just think like, oh man, this guy's going to be like a real disciplinarian. Like what we thought Todd Bowles was going to exactly. be. Todd Bowles yes. was like another club med. You know, Rex left. You're like, well, Rex was too friendly with the players. We're bringing in a guy who's not going to take any of this stuff and he's going to hold guys accountable. And he didn't. And Adam yeah. Gase, I, I thought he would because he, he, I mean, he was benching guys who were playing well in right. Miami. Right. But I think those are guys that just he didn't like. Like that exactly, was like a personal yeah. thing. He Ego did. stuff. Because he's a clown. Yeah. Um, but with Salah, you know, you see him going crazy on the sidelines, and it's like, oh, this this dude's gonna instill some discipline. Yes. Same thing. Like, and I don't know. I don't listen, Dylan. I'm not gonna lie. I don't follow the rest of the rest of the league closely enough. Mm-hmm. I'd love to know, like, do coaches do that anymore? Like right. I, guys make so much money and there's so much pressure to win. Is there any – does that happen? I don't hear of it happening. Um, and the Jets' last three or four or five coaches certainly haven't done it. So it's like, do coaches just not do that anymore? Maybe I'm dumb and I'm thinking like the old guys. Like, you know, when I first started watching football, and you, if you fumble, dude, you might not see the field again. Yeah. You know, you yeah. make a mistake, you're, you're sitting for a little while. Mm-hmm. Now as a Jets fan, I've just grown accustomed to guys not getting pulled, not getting held accountable. Um, so maybe it's just not a thing anymore. That's, I don't know. I, because certainly when the, with the JFM thing, I'm thinking right away, pull him, pull him, sit him down, let him sit yes. down for a little while. No, next play he's out there. And, and the thing that what made it worse with Franklin Myers, I don't know if you noticed it. Like <laughs> I, I scream at my television way too much when I watch the jets. Oh, yeah, sometimes I'm, sometimes I'm like, dude, you're a grown man. Stop yelling at your television. Yeah. But yeah. then they do stuff that makes me yell at my television. I can't help it. But early in the game, before that penalty, Franklin Myers is like, they, the Jets got to stop. And he's like in the Bengals huddle, mixing it up with one of their guys. Yes, I did see that. I'm yep. like, dude, get back in the huddle. Like, what are you doing? Yep. And then four or five minutes yep. later, he does that. And that's what I'm like, pull him. Pull him, sit him down. His head's not in the game. Yep. But they don't. He just plays. And guys just don't get benched anymore. Yeah. And, and like you said, it's not like we're competing to go win a Super Bowl and these guys are Aaron Donalds of the world that we really need to see like ask ourselves is this somebody who absolutely needs to be on the field these aren't I'm not saying they're replacement level guys by any means but they're not probably going to start on at least a handful of teams in the league so to us why are we going to keep giving these privileges out when there's especially on the defensive line we're so deep at defensive line sit him down, let somebody else go. And next week, if, if he does something stupid, then he's, you know, Bryce Huff. Why, why don't we have Bryce Huff in? And I don't think Bryce Huff has made any stupid mistakes like this. I think he's got to be active this week. I feel like this is the the week where if he's not active, questions really need to be raised about, is this guy just not it for the team? Because I think he, he is, especially after watching Jacob Martin win on the edge. I think Bryce Huff can do that at yep. a, a better clip and at finish actually Jacob Martin couldn't finish once he got around uh, Lyle Collins a lot. So, so yeah, it's just tough. I, I want to see people get benched at least, like you said, a quarter, a half rethink it, but yeah, these guys aren't all, all world beaters where if you sit them out for a couple plays, you're, you're going to give up a touchdown and Hey, 
we we got up the the penalties and they they score anyway when these guys are on the field anyway. So yeah, it, it's exactly. really unfortunate. We'll stick there with the defense. I had some really concerning things when I went back. I only watched the first half of the All Twenty Two. Um, and I, I kept. I don't know if it was my. I don't think. Listen, all my internet works fine. For some reason, the it kept freezing and pausing and sticking. So I got through about a quarter and a half, and I got too mad and stopped watching it because yeah, it was going to take me five hours to watch yep. it. It just kept. And so I, I their product is shit. Yep, exactly. Um, and they, they're the only ones that can carry it, so they don't care. It's like, it, it's like, it's like being a restaurant at an airport. Like, where else are you going to go? Of course, our food's going to be terrible. You're exactly. going to get in your car and drive to a restaurant down the road. No. You're going to eat the garbage we serve you, and we're going to charge you triple the price, and there's nothing you can do about it. Exactly. NFL.com. Yeah. You want to watch these games and see every game in all 22? It's not going to be a very good product, but no one else can sell it to you. And the NFL Plus that they're selling on the phone and tablet only is just – it's its garbage, honestly. I had it for a month. I, I fell sucker for it. I, I was like, I'll try it, whatever, preseason. I couldn't watch it. They give you alternate – it's like sideline or um, uh, end zone angles, and you can watch one or the other doesn't work absolutely not so i just canceled it after a month i was like it's garbage but so i i watched only if the first half obviously you you a little bit less um third down i saw quincy williams versus t higgins and then i saw cj mosley on a corner route against tyler boyd and tyler boyd went for i think it was 20 something yards on third down yep 22 yards on third down against cj mosley so that mm. was my first red flag in the game plan um the jets needed luck with the T Higgins catch in the back of the end zone after the shovel pass, um, which the Bengals scored three times on the opening drive. Not two didn't count obviously, but that was enough points to win the game right there. Just the two, not, not even the third. So that's, that's embarrassing. Um, obviously we mentioned the, the bad tackle by uh, Whitehead that led to the Boyd touchdown of 60 yards. Yeah. It's just inexcusable fundamentals again, like we said. And then I really wanted to get into Quinn versus Aaron White cotton. Um, we kind of got somewhat to the bottom of it as far as what they were yelling about. Quinnen wanted a four-man rush. Aaron White Cotton, um, I don't know if it's his job to dial up the blitz. I think it's more on Ulbrich, but they were dialing up a seven-man pressure that led to the 65-yard the touchdown, and Quinnen Williams snapped. He absolutely lost it. Um, I, I will commend both of them, honestly. Um, you watch the video, neither Quinnen nor uh, white cotton like raised their own hands everybody else raised hands and separated them which is good obviously they they were angry but they knew their limits that they're still at the end of the day family and they're not gonna push and shove each other but at the end of the day the stat that connor hughes put out about these pressures and it looks like quinn williams was right to me uh jets rushed five plus players uh five times before the discussion pre-talk they had one pressure and zero sacks post-talk they had eight pressures and two sacks. I'm not going to say Quinn Williams is 100% right. Obviously, things change. No, hold on. I'm, I'm going to ask you to say that again. Could you all say that again? Sure, yeah. Um, before the discussion, they had eight snaps um, with five or more uh, players rushed and only one pressure and zero sacks. Okay. Then after the discussion on the sidelines, they were rushing four only 18 times and they had eight pressures and two sacks. So they were rushing more than five before the talk, and it wasn't getting anywhere. Then they started dialing it back a little bit, rushing four like they normally like to, and they were actually working. I saw a stat. I couldn't pull up the tweet fast enough. Joe Burrow last year was the number one quarterback against the Blitz. There's no need to send more than five players ever at a player like Joe Burrow. He's similar to Tom Brady in the aspect of he's too smart to let the blitz get him. He's going to get the ball out faster. We saw it on the Boyd touchdown. He has his hot routes ready to go. Boyd coming across the middle one-on-one -on -one against Michael Carter. That's the easiest look you can get. It was right in front of him. LaMarcus Joyner was never going to get there on the sack. Um, it's just, it's silly things like that where you, you wonder what they go through all week in the game planning phase to say, this is the plan against the team that is one struggles against normal pressure, not, not big blitzes and a quarterback that holds onto the ball way too long. I saw on the all, all 22, he, he curled like this, like Matthew Stafford does in the pocket. He curled up like he was ready to take the sack, just gets out and throws to the open touchdown because Quincy Williams just breaks contain. It's just little things like that, that just, just aggravated the crap out of me all game. And it makes me wonder what this defense needs to do to change. Um, my my question to you, 
what were your thoughts on the game plan? Obviously, it doesn't seem like it was a good one. And for as much of a zone zone man on third down team, does this team need to try man on first and second and long situations before they get to third down to really throw off offenses? Yeah, I think uh, that was a conversation on the forums of Jet Nation, and uh, and I agreed with. I think that I think we need to see more man. I think mm-hmm. that plays their strength, and I think that playing the zone and playing a little bit off more more often than they should. Teams are are putting themselves in a position where they're they're getting a lot of third and shorts, which the Jets don't. You know, when you're the Jets fan and and you're constantly seeing third and six, third and seven, third and eight, but the other team always seems to have a third and one, third and two, third and three. Um, you got to change something up. But I, I was a little bit surprised, uh, or I, I should say I am surprised to hear that uh, how often the Jets did blitz, considering the fact that, you know, Salah said earlier in the week that, uh, you know, we want to get home with four. Um, and, you know, and because because and his exact reasoning was um, the great quarterbacks will pick you apart. Like you want as many guys in coverage as possible. Um, now, I'd have to go back and look at the pass plays before that. I don't remember them getting much pressure. And I, th- I think if the Jets are blitzing, I think that's the I think that's the frustration of them not getting to Burrow. Like we've talked about how they, you know, Burrow did sit back and pick them apart. So you know, I think sometimes stats can be a little misleading in that. And I'm not saying this is the case, but I'm I'm just thinking out loud here. Sometimes you'll hear, you know, that that it's you know maybe you had more sacks with a certain approach, but they're they're like they're, I what I'm trying to say. Like I've seen games where the Jets have like five or six sacks. And you're like, oh, the D-line played great. And you go back and watch it, and that's literally, like, the only pressure they got all day. Yes. Where it's like, Jesus, like, would you rather, like, 11 pressures and two sacks or, like, five sacks and that's it, you know? So it could be that you're getting home a couple a couple more times, but as far as, like, on a, are you consistently putting pressure on the quarterback? I mean, I don't think the, I don't think the Jets were putting uh, consistent pressure on Burrow under any circumstances. Mm-hmm. So, um that, you know, that, that's the problem that they're facing right now on defense is that these quarterbacks are, are having too much time to sit back. But but that being said, I'm sure it's frustrating for Quinn and Williams because he's balling out right now. Like, he's playing great. Um, yeah. and, you know, I'm, I'm sure we'll get to that at some point tonight. But he's uh he, he's probably their best – well, he is their best player on defense right now. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I guess you can make a case for Sauce too because uh, sure, he's, he's playing fantastic. But, yeah, yeah I was surprised that, that they, they – got away from what Salah said they would do, which was, you know, overwhelmingly four man rushes and let the let your your DBs and linebackers, you know, buy you some time and, and get the quarterback to hesitate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And uh, this question comes from Christopher in the chat. He asked, how many TDs has the defense given up on third downs? Um, I don't know the answer for weeks one and two, but Salah said in the press conference, and I have it in my play charting here, all three touchdowns came on third down. Um, the first touchdown that we talked about, um, that was the first drive of the game. I believe that was the scramble where Quincy Williams ran through the pressure and um, he got it out to Samahe Pirine. That was third and goal from the 12. So third and goal from the 12 is a manageable situation. You think the Jets would be able to convert? No, probably not. Um, the second touchdown was the Boyd touchdown. That was a third and seven from the 44-yard line. Um, and then the third one was the miscommunication, and that did also come on third down. So good cre- question there by Christopher. And, yes, third down seems to be the absolute problem. Um, I want to stick I with I heard. I thought I heard Salah say they've given up five on third down this year, but I could be wrong about that. It's. It, I, I'm sure that there were more than one um, other than the, just the Bengals game. They had to have given up. I'm sure the Amari Cooper miscommunication was a third down uh, miscommunication manner zone. So yeah, I, I'm gonna say four plus safely is is the number that we will go with. Um, sticking with the D line before we do get to Quinn and Williams, uh, rookies Michael Clemens and Jermaine Johnson. I think they probably had their best overall individual performances of mm-hmm. the the season so far. And respectively, Clemens got 19 snaps and Jermaine Johnson got 20. Um, all this pass rush inability and no production from this up front uh, four. Do these guys need to play more than 20 snaps a game? I feel like this is just smacking yourself on the head. You have a first round pick that you traded up for in Johnson and you're only going to play him 20 out of 68 snaps. I just think it's silly and you need to get him at least 27, 30 snaps a game, especially if you're going to have bonehead veterans making mistakes. What are your thoughts before we get into Quinn Williams on the two rookies playing time? 
Well, listen, you know, um, if Quinn and Williams isn't good enough to get on the field the way he's playing, you know, wh- why would we expect him to change things up for the young kids who are also playing well? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, listen, th- this is, I mean, I understand wanting to stick to your philosophy, whatever it may be, but at some point <laughs> when you're a very bad football team, the philosophy needs to become maximum reps for the best players. Mm-hmm. That should be the philosophy. Not, oh, let's keep guys fresh. You know, wh- why is it no other teams are worried about keeping their guys this fresh? You know, and we, we've talked about this. The the snap counts, whether it's just, you know, outright snaps or a percentage of snaps, guys on other teams who play his position, who play at a high level, play a lot more than Quentin Williams does. Mm-hmm. And I, I said it earlier. I said Quinton Williams one day is going to go to a team that lets him play more than 55% of the snaps, and he's going to be a monster. And the Jets are going to be like, wow, he's really good, that guy. Who you know, it's like get him on the field. You know, you don't have you don't have enough good players to sit a guy like that, you know, 40% of the time. And especially like I said, I, I would think Robert Sala, even though it's early year two, I I would think he would be desperate for some wins. But he's really like chilled out, like, hey, mm-hmm. penalties, we're not going to bench you. Yep. You know, playing well, we are going to bench you. You know, like there's no – like I, if I were a head coach that just had the year he had and started out this season the way we did, I'd be like, look, it's all hands on deck right now. We need to string two or three wins together to, mm-hmm. A, keep our seat. I mean, listen, it's two or three wins in a row doesn't get you to the playoffs. But it does get you to a point where you're in the playoff conversation till like after the season. Yeah. Um, you know, when you have one one or two wins in week six, no one cares about you. You have three or four in weeks. Okay, so you're three and three. All right. You you're not setting the world on fire, but things are optimistic. Mm-hmm. Um and Robert Sala doesn't seem to be bothered by any of that. He's just like, you know, it, it's a it's just surprising because of the fact, like I said, he came here. You just have this these images of him being a maniac on the sidelines, and you're like, oh, the intensity. This guy's going to – man, he's, he's no joke, this guy. And then he's like, no, we're not going to send anybody. And, you know, it's 60% the Navy SEALs and all this. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. come on, dude, like, what are we doing? What's – you know, and you know, the worst thing I think he did the other day was at, talking to the media. Oh, we, we've been having bad luck. Like, come on, man. You, you can't – look, you can – if it's you're a fan, case. you can talk like that. Mm-hmm. If you're a broadcaster, you can talk like that. Yep. It's, like I, it's like I say with the next man up thing. Even though I think it's a – it's a it's a sort of – it's a silly saying, next man up. But in the locker room, in the building, in the huddle, that has to be the mentality. I get oh, yeah. that. You can't in the huddle be like, oh, shit, we got McDermott. Sorry. Oh, we got McDermott this week, you know. Yeah. Now the – Never mind, fellas. You know, you can't do that. It has to be, hey, Connor, you're up, dude. Do your job. That's it's gotta be next man up. Yeah. But if you're an outside observer and you're not you're not putting on the pads on Sunday, you know, it's okay to look at things objectively and go, this team with this player is not nearly as good as they were with the other player. And that's mm-hmm. just the fact. Like so, so like I as we can sit here and go, look, man, the Jets have had some really crappy luck this year, blah, blah, blah. But when the head coach is like, Oh, well, you know, we've had bad luck with that. No, you don't attribute stuff to good luck, bad luck. No. Like it, it's it's such a I, I to hear an NFL any NFL head coach, but let alone of the team I support, to hear a head coach talk about oh we have bad luck. It's like, dude, it's it's so bad. Yeah, it's funny because people like you and I should be sitting up here for our hour a week and talk about oh the Jets had a little bit of bad luck, which they did against Cincinnati. They absolutely had some bad it luck. happens exactly, but we're not going to sit wants there. To hear it. We're not going to sit there and say that's the reason that we blew the game, essentially. And last week against Cleveland, yes, we pulled out a victory, but we weren't going to sit there and blame the refs had it not gone our way because we're not that type of person. So to see – or those types of fans. So to see Rob Sala specifically come out and say, ah, it was just a little bit of bad luck. And every defense has six or seven miscommunications every week. It's like, dude, I don't know if that's true because, like you said, we don't watch every other team. But well, when you're making but the thing these- is – Sorry, so, sorry to cut you off, but I, I wanted to, I wanted to discuss that because my follow up question to that would have been, if that happens for teams every week, then why are your players saying you need to fix it? Yep. You know we, why? Why is DJ Reed saying we got to have a meeting about all these miscommunications? Sounds to me like he thinks there's too many. Exactly. Robert Sala might think they have the right number of miscommunications. 
but DJ yeah. Reed, who has been a monster since getting here, what a fine he's been. Um, he doesn't. I don't think he agrees because he said they need to sit down and talk about it. Exactly, and and he's a veteran, so he's been around. Obviously, he's only been in C, uh, San Francisco and Seattle, so three stops now. He's seen defenses that know how to communicate. San Francisco usually doesn't have these problems communicating. Seattle almost never has problems communicating. They're all disciplined teams. So, yeah, to come here, say that there's way too many miscommunications, solid a downplay it, like there's four new faces in the back end. I'm I'm just – how many excuses do we need before – we start to hit the panic button. And I know we'll, we'll start to get into that a little bit, but I know we wanted to touch on Quinton Williams. I have a stat here. If I can pull it up, uh, Seth Walder posted a, an analytics chart about Quinton Williams's uh, pass rush win, win rate versus his double team rate. Mm. And as you can see on the screen here, Quinton Williams is up in the top right corner in green. there, kind of close to the average mark. Um, in terms of double team rate, but the only name even close to Aaron Donald is Quinnen Williams. So to say that only 63% of the snaps and, and then you have Ulbrich coming out today, I don't know if you, you saw his press conference, but he said, I always ask myself, why is Quinnen not out on these big plays when we need him? And I look over on the sideline and he's gassed. I'm like, that's not a good look. I don't care. If Quinnen is balling out, your defensive coordinator should not start saying stuff like that. I didn't hear that. Especially week four. And I mentioned it two weeks ago, like, hey, when they look at Quinnen on the broadcast, his mouth is open, his hands on his hips. And if that's cool if that's Quinnen's mannerisms. But to have Jeff Ulbrich come out and say that now, it's it's a little disturbing. I'm not sure if Ulbrich's feeling the pressure and he's starting to, you know, deflect a little bit of blame here and there. It's not – it's the first time we've ever seen this from the coaching staff. So it's, it's a little intriguing. Um, 63% snaps on the season for Quinn and Williams, drastically low. But then you look at his first three seasons and it's up. He was at 53% last year. That is, that is almost criminal. Put, put the defensive game plan under the jail. If Quinn and Williams is playing 53% of the snaps, it has to be 63, 68, 72, 75% of the snaps just to, even scratch the surface of what this guy can do. I know he might be gassed, but it's got to be 70%. I'm, I'm curious to hear what Quinn and Williams has to say about that. Oh, yeah. I'm sure his next media availability, Rich or Cause, is going to say, hey. They uh, better. That, you're not doing your job if you don't ask him that. Exactly. How do you feel about your defensive coordinator saying every time they need you in the game in a big spot, you're gassed? Yeah, exactly. And And maybe the rotation is just off to the point where, you know, like it's just bad timing when, hey – their second or third, third down of the drive. Quinnen has already played his six snaps or whatever. But I, I need to hear from Quinnen before I get to the bottom of it. And I, I, I feel like Quinnen has more leniency in my book for right now as far as getting the him on the field more as opposed to less. So I thought that was a, a pretty interesting note there um, to end the, the defensive segment. I did want to touch actually before we move on because you, the secondary is just too damn good. Sauce Gardner against Jamar Chase. Um, we can get into DJ Reed as well, but Sauce Gardner versus Jamar Chase specifically, they shadowed Jamar a lot. I don't have the numbers of how many shadowed versus not, but Jamar Chase is getting frustrated. And he pushed Sauce, and Sauce said, hell no, that not in my yeah. house. This is not and, – and somebody pointed this out. I believe it was Connor Rogers said, how can Jamar Chase do that to a rookie and try to get into his head? And Sauce is just cool. You know, he's not grabbing somebody by the face mask and getting mm -hmm. in their face about it. So why is it the rookies that know how to do the right thing when the veterans are, are you know, making these stupid mistakes? So I wanted to hear your thoughts on Sauce so far, just against Jamar, maybe against the whole year, how you feel about him. And do they need to shadow with him more? Yeah, I mean, look, he's been a beast. Um, I talked about it. Uh, I think I mentioned it last week, how I thought they should do it against Baltimore. But mm -hmm. I didn't mention it because I didn't think they would. Right. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Let your best player follow their best player. Um, but, but I will say, though, the Jets are lucky at the moment and that they have two corners who are good enough where it's not like one guy's a liability. Mm -hmm. You know, in years past, you know, even even when it wasn't Revis, you know, even there have been years where they might have a solid corner. Um, but, the, you know, but the corner two, there's such a drop off that you're like, oh, my God, you can't leave it matched up like that. Right. Um, with, in this case, it's like, well, Sauce probably should follow, but DJ Reed's not a, a scrub on the other side. So, you know, whatever. But but I, I said, you know, I, I said before the game that was going to be like 
I would pay just to watch that matchup. Um, Sauce did not disappoint. Um, Ten talk. No, I, th I think he. I, I, somebody did tweet out because I was going to mention this. It sometimes you know fans drive you nuts. Um, he was man. He was man on man with Chase on ten snaps. Um, if this tweet was correct, I, someone tweeted out it was like ten snaps, um, and I think he was only targeted a couple times. Um, of course, there was the deep ball that Sauce broke up, um, and the person was like, "Oh, let's stop making such a big deal over Sauce." Like he covered him ten times, and he only saw a couple of targets. It's like, yeah, that's because he was covered. Like that's why you exactly. you're going to target him ten times out of ten snaps. Like if he's blanketing him. If a guy, if a guy's, you know, matched up on a guy 15 times, you go, oh, he didn't do anything. He wasn't even targeted all day. Yeah, because the coverage was good. Exactly. So, you know, Sauce was an absolute monster, um, and he has been. I, you know, I said, um, I said before the season started, after watching a little bit more of him at, in college, I said, look, if Sauce Gardner isn't good, then just stop scouting. Just stop. Exactly. Like he's he's the closest thing to a short thing that you'll see. And I'm like, if this guy isn't good at the next level, I mean, we already acknowledge Dylan, and everyone does. Like that, the draft is not a science. It's you're you're guessing. You're guessing. Hundred percent. And sometimes you're guessing with bias because a guy plays for a team you like, or plays for a coach you like, or plays for a position you like, or makes a couple of big plays on a big stage, and so you kind of have biases that oh, I really think this guy's going to be good. And but if a guy who played like Sauce isn't good, then Stop watching any film. Just just yeah. really legitimately guess about everyone. Just look at someone else's top 200 and throw darts and pick names. Because um, sometimes it feels like that's what some GMs do. Um, the, the last two for the Jets, in fact. But, yeah, I mean, Sauce has been a monster. He's been everything you hoped he would be. And he just he really seems to be like – that's one thing I'll say. Like, Sauce um, – Same thing. I felt the same way with Quinnen, you know, Becton, even though he's had the injuries – um, things I liked about them, they just, they genuinely seem like they're just having fun playing football yep. and they're damn good at it. Yep. You know, like they're likable guys. I know cause some people are nuts. They don't like Becton. Um, I have no problems with Mekhi Becton. I think, uh, the injuries have been unfortunate, but they weren't a thing in college. So this wasn't mm -hmm. something you could foresee, but they just like playing football and having fun and they're good at it. And I think sauce has been fantastic. It's only a handful of games, but I think I would play him in as much man coverage as possible. And uh, and I thought that matchup, you know, with Chase was fantastic. Yeah, it's funny. The first time um, we did a mock draft for Jet Nation, I want to say this is March. Um, so a good month before the draft, Alex and I both had Sauce Gardner in our first round. Um, I believe I had Kyle Hamilton as well. But my, my reasoning was he's built like an alien. There's just – not many corners out there that are that, that tall, length. lanky, can flip their hips and run four four one with the best that wide height. receivers in the game. You mentioned that that go ball to Jamar Chase that he broke up. Nobody was open on that play, and Burrow just kind of chucked up a one on one deep ball situation. And the Jets defense will allow that all all game. So if if that's what we're getting from Sauce Gardner early on, I'm super happy. Obviously, he wasn't my final choice at the draft. Well, we can use this as a segue to get into the offense i wanted offensive tackle um i don't think it matters how good sauce aquanu neil has been playing or is gonna play sauce is a damn good football player so i'm Absolutely. happy to have him i still think we could have done more to offensive tackle because that'll bring me to the offensive side of the ball the jets are on their fifth offensive tackle combination and it's week four um I have the list here. I tweeted it out. We wanted to start the season with George Fant and Mekhi Becton. Uh, Becton goes down. You sign Dwayne Brown. Now you have Dwayne Brown and George Fant. Dwayne Brown goes down with a shoulder injury, and we'll definitely get into that. Now you have George Fant back at left tackle and Max Mitchell. And then George Fant goes down in the middle of the game, and you have Connor McDermott and Max Mitchell. This is embarrassing at the offensive tackle position. Um I obviously think there's blame to go around as well as luck where we can use luck when we talk about the injuries, but this is just silly. Now offensive tackle was a big problem coming into the, the season. Um, whether Makai was healthy or not, you had George Fant coming off a March knee scope. So this is all before the draft and you were very vulnerable at offensive tackle. And it shows you signed Cedric Abuyi and Mike Remmers in week four off one off the Houston practice squad, one off the street. 
it's not going to look good if that's your starting left and right tackle combination at any point this season. Um, I just wanted to get your thoughts on on that, those signings real quick and, and what you think the offensive tackle tandem is going to look like moving forward, including Dwayne Brown or not including Dwayne Brown. Well, I, you know, I, I'm not, um, I, I'm not as upset with, um, with Joe Douglas about this as some people are yeah. because of the fact that even though, you know, even though Dwayne Brown was signed after Makai Becton was injured, like he was, they already brought him in. Like he was, right. he was literally at the green and white scrimmage. I think it was the green and white scrimmage. Yep. Um, like two days before Becton got hurt um, or a few days before Becton got hurt. Mm-hmm. Um and so he was already sort of in the plan. And I think that was the plan. They were like, okay, well, we got Fant on the right side. And I, I think Chuma may have still been there at that point. But, um, you know, you got you got Mitchell, the rookie, who they said all along was coming along faster than they thought. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Beckton and the injury concern. So they go out and say, all right, let's get Dwayne Brown. He's going to back up Makai. We got Mitchell to back up Fant. And, you know, and, of course, Beckton, you know, if, you know, God forbid Brown and Fant get hurt. You know, at least we can move Makai to the left side and then have Mitchell. Like, all three of them aren't going to get hurt, right? Wrong. Like, and I'm like, all right, well, how many teams are realistically four deep at left tackle? Mm-hmm. Like, none. So, I mean, by going out and getting Dwayne Brown, you then have three guys on your roster who can play left tackle at a high level in Fant, Becton, and Brown. They all get hurt. Mm-hmm. So now it's McDermott. Now that. And I tweeted this out the other day. I'm a big Joe Douglas fan, but how in the world is Connor McDermott on this roster? I just I, he's and to hear Robert Sala say, "Oh, McDermott's played some good football for us." No, he hasn't. <laughs> no, he hasn't. And I, I listen. And I hate like you got to be bad for me to talk about a player like that because I listen. I try to remember these these guys. They got families. They're people. It's yeah, not like exactly. the guy's not trying. Yeah. I'm sure he's a wonderful person. Yeah. Um, but he just gets steamrolled on Sundays and you can't have that. And I think that's why they've gone out and signed a couple of tackles. Um, but they really should have done that before. Um, and yeah. not, again, not, I'm not saying use another, I mean, you drafted Mitchell, you had three other guys. You had, again, at the time you had a Doga, um, but having McDermott start at left tackle is really going to hinder you so much in what you can do because teams know they're going to be able to pressure the quarterback and hit the quarterback and, you know, as like I, my thing all week has been, look, run the ball. Run the mm-hmm. ball because, A, the Steelers' run defense is, is not very good, and, B, like lean on it to let Zach get comfortable. Yeah. But if they're going to be able to get to the quarterback at will, they're just going to load the box, and you're not going to be able to run. Like your quarterback is going to have to make a couple of throws mm-hmm. to be able to open up the running game. And if you can, and if he gets hit every time, he, you know, or – if he gets hit often enough when he's trying to throw, then you're not going to set up the running game. Um, so there's part of me that's like, I think this is going to be a breakout game for Brees Hall because I think the Jets are going to try to run it, and I think you're going to see him right. get 20 carries. But then I'm like, but they also might just have eight in the box all day because they know that Zach Wilson isn't going to have time to throw the ball when he wants to. And uh, unless, you know, the, the one good thing there, though, is that if it's a big if because we don't know what the hell you're gonna get from Zach his first real football game in eight and right. nine months. Who knows? Right. But what we do know is that if he's even a little bit sharp, he now has a couple of receivers in Wilson and Moore who can get open in a hurry. So go ahead and stack the box and we'll have one of these guys get open over the middle on a slant or something like that. Um and if if Zach hits him and they take it to the house, now you gotta back off a little. Okay, that opens right. the run game. So Possibilities are there, but my concern is that Zach will be Zach won't be sharp because he's mm-hmm. been a, such a long layoff, and the Steelers will take advantage of that, load the box, and shut down the run game. That's my concern. Yeah, and we can just use this to segue talking about the offense more in the preview aspect as opposed to recapping. We're a little crunched on time here. I just looked at the clock; it's quarter after seven. We have fifteen minutes left. Um, but yeah, you, you you mentioned it. What is the expectations for a Zach Wilson led offense? And I don't think that it should be what Joe Flacco has done to start the year. Obviously 280 something yards averaged over the three games is something Zach Wilson has not done before as a pro. And I do think that this is a game where they, they need to rely more on the run game. Um, Watching the all 22, the the jets came out and what they like to do offensively. 
and that's 12 personnel with two tight ends tight to the line of scrimmage. They want to have Wilson Moore or Moore and Davis condensed, stacked on the opposite side of the field. They want to use motion and get defenses looking all different types of ways, but essentially they just want to set up the run. They haven't done that this year. They've come out and schematically looked like they want to do that, and then three series later it just gets abandoned. So I want to see them sticking to the run. Brees Hall, Michael Carter, I predicted them to go over 115, 120 yards in my my game plan preview article. So I'm banking that they take the ball out of Zach Wilson's hands, rely on the run game. Just, I know the offensive line is going to be bad, but use all your, ta- your tight ends. Um, Jeremy Ruckert played zero snaps last week. Get this guy involved. I don't care if it's in the backfield as your third, second or third tight end. CJ Uzama hasn't done much. So he could be tight end two next uh, this week. And I wouldn't even bat an eye. So let's use the offensive personnel that we've brought in and be this 12 personnel team and really take it to the Steelers. I'm not sure if you have a different strategy as to how to attack these Steelers, but I think it's just get, get get back to the basics, run the football, use your tight ends, be that 12 personnel offense that you claim to be and not 51 and a half dropbacks per game. Well, I think that's, you know, I I said that that's, excuse me. I was, I was surprised the Bengals didn't run it as much or didn't run it more um, mm-hmm. on Sunday than they did. And, and it was for that very reason. And, and the Jets, even though they have the one win, the one miracle win, I feel like they are a team that sort of, if they're not desperate, they are as close to desperate as you can be without being desperate. Mm-hmm. I guess desperate would be your 0-3, right? Okay, so let's say they're the next level down. When teams get desperate, they do tend to go back to the fundamentals and say, okay, let's just simplify everything, you know, let, let's let's run the ball, quick short passes, that type of thing. Like move the chains, not do anything too you know too complex. And that would be great if they did that. But again, it all comes down. You know, and I, I tweeted out one play. It was it was fairly early in the game, mm-hmm. but it was a couple plays in a row where I'm looking at Cincinnati's got seven guys in the box, eight guys in the box. You know, eight guys, and there's another guy who's not in the box, but he, he's like on on the edge. So I'm like, yep. really, you've got nine right guys really close to the line of scrimmage. Like, how are you going to run? And it was a run play. Michael Carter, he gets two or three yards, gets chased out of bounds. Uh-huh. I'm like, that. you're not going to be able to run against this. You, yep. If teams are going to load the box with eight, nine guys, you're not going to be able to run against it. So, you know, you need to you need to open things up a little bit. But, but when the opportunities are there, I mean, then that's been the frustrating part is that they're not running it. But when they do, they run it well. So that's what's it's it's not as if they're going out there and they're like, well, we're at one and a half a carry, so we're just going to throw it for the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. No, like they're still in the game. They're averaging four, five, six a carry, yep. and they still throw it fifty-five times. Yep. The, these first half game scripts are not necessarily so far out of reach. Where yeah, you're not down by twenty-two. I, I, I don't want to say it's, yeah, I don't want to say it's neutral game script situations because I don't know what neutral is defined as. But you can run the ball when you're down. 13 to three or 10 to three in the second quarter, you can run the ball. You can establish the run. There was a play I wanted to highlight. Uh, You mentioned it. You have a good play and then you come back and run against a stacked box. They threw an angle route to uh, Brees Hall out of the backfield. He gained 19 yards. I believe it, it was third and three. They gained 19 yards. They come back. Cincinnati shows a cover zero look. 11 men in the box. They run the ball for negative one yard. I just, it's little shit like that. Excuse me. Little stuff like that, that just, it's, it's frustrating. And obviously the emotions are coming out, but it's just little things like that, that 20 games into this regime, you should really uh, have hammered down and ironed out all these issues. And then before we get into the draft talk real quick at the end, I, I wanted to bring this up. You and I we're patient. We're very patient fans. I'm young and you, uh, I feel like I'm very I'm patient. I'm, I'm just, I feel like patient. young people, I meant to say it as like young people aren't as patient. I feel like nowadays young people just want results instantly. They don't care. They'll give you, you know, six, seven, eight games and they'll fire your coach. They don't, they don't care. Yeah. I'm trying to be more patient, more, you know, even keel. And I know you try to be too, but we got to talk about this panic meter. I'm going to give you four names. I'll give you my one through 10 scale. We'll go right down the list. Starting with the top one, who I think is the highest number for me, Jeff Ulbrich. I have him at a four out of 10. I'm panicking. I'm nervous. And I think after this week, if they lose, it could be an eight out of 10. And it really starts to become like boiling water under his seat. So Jeff Ulbrich, one out of 10. What what do you got on him? Yeah, look, Ulbrich, it's it's almost, uh, 
I mean, I'll just for the sake of giving a number, I'll say I'll say five, six out six out of ten. Mm-hmm. And it's because I don't know what he's what has he done that it shouldn't be ten. Yeah, like, really. True. If we're being Seriously. honest, yep. you know, like I, I I do believe that Robert Sala is letting him call the games. Like I in the past, like when it was Rex, I'm like, man, Rex is not letting any calls go through that he doesn't agree with. Like that's right. Rex is the guy. Um but I think with Salah, he's so much about empowering his guys mm-hmm. that I do believe it's Jeff Albrecht calling the defense, um, which is kind of does fall somewhat on Salah. Because as I said, even if he's not interrupting, he he does have the headset. He does hear the call and he, he can't can say, whoa, 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 Jeff, no, Jeff, do this, not that. Yeah. Like he has the authority to do that. I, I, I don't know if he doesn't have the if that's not his style. But yeah, I'm just I'm like, what has he done that it shouldn't be a ten? I feel like saying five or six is generous. It is. It, it definitely is. Even for for like I said, being the the patient side of the fan base, I definitely think five or six is is reasonable. It's definitely reasonable because ten is what it should be. Right. Uh, we'll stick right there on the defense. Um, Robert Sala. You said he doesn't override Jeff Ulbrich's play calling. He seems to be pretty laid back and you know have full gives Ulbrich full control. So. To me, Rob Sala is a one out of ten, and I think that that's a big one. Like that's that's a really red one on my books. Like because it takes a lot for me to 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 start flipping that switch back to okay, I was patient. Now I'm starting to lose my cool. So I think it's a one, but it's a, it's a big one, and it's it's gonna get bigger if these these things happen. So I'm at a one. Where are you at? Yeah, I think uh, I I think. This last week's game was the most damning game for him. Yeah. So if you'd asked me this before the Cincinnati game, and not just because they were coming off a win, mm-hmm. I probably would have said one or a two. Like, I'm not mm-hmm. worried. But as I said, you just faced a team that gave up more sacks than anyone in the NFL over the last 20 games, and you couldn't get to them. Yeah. Um. So for Salah and, and all the other things, like a, a lot happened this week to make me lose confidence in him. You had mm-hmm. what I just said. Not can't get to the quarterback against a team that gives up a ton of sacks. Um. Not disciplining guys who were making dumb mistakes during the game. It was costing you the game. Um, you know, and, and again, the, the whole, you know, oh, oh, we were unlucky. Oh, it's it's normal to make six or seven mistakes a game. Mm-hmm. Like, that was a bad, and like my perception of him dropped considerably this, just this week. Yeah. Um, so I would say right now I'm at a four for Robert Sala. I okay. think he's a, like, you listen to him talk. Like, this is the difference between. And, and I know it shouldn't come into account because, like they say, right, results-based business. It's about what, what you get done. But I look at Robert Sala, and I'm like, man, there is a – and I could be wrong. I don't know the guy. But I look at him. I listen to him speak. I'm like, there is a good guy. Like, yeah. I believe he is a really, really good human being. So I am rooting for him. Yeah. Whereas with Adam Gase, it's like, your team sucks, and – and I have no time for you as a person. You're not likable. Like, yeah, you're, you're, yeah, you're egomaniac. You're, no, I can completely understand why guys don't like him. Like you're a bad person and a bad football coach. I have no time for you. Robert mm-hmm. Sala to me right now is a really good dude whose team is not playing well. So I want so badly for him to succeed. But this past week really raised a lot of red flags for me. Yeah, and I mean, I always go back to it, and I'll and I'll reference it even in the bad times that he was my number one choice at uh, head coach when they fired Adam Gase. Obviously I, I rode the, the Bill Cower train. Let's bring back an old head one, you know, for a little bit, but ultimately I settled on Rob Sala being my choice. And I think that also has a lot to do with the offensive mind he brought in. So for, for, for even me to say that, like, you know, I'm starting to question whether this is actually going to be the long-term answer. I think that it says a lot about, you know, reflecting upon our past takes about, because we want to root for these guys, obviously. We want them to be likable and, you know, turn New York around. But if, if it's not the guy, it's not the guy. And we have to just admit that. Um, yeah. Mike LaFleur, um, I have him at a zero. I'm not sure if you're even moved the needle on him. I still think he's yeah, going to be a head he's, coach I'm, I'm not worried else. about him at all. Exactly. And and last but not least, Joe Douglas. I had him at a one originally. But now I have him at a two. I, I, pencil, I changed it last minute just in my head. I'm not changing it in the dock. But he's he's a two out of ten for me. And I feel like it has a lot to do with offensive tackle, safety, all these positions that I feel like we've talked about throughout the summer, just needing a little bit more. And obviously the roster changes he's made are just ridiculous over the last few years, obviously, when you're just a, a 
crap team. But I just feel like there's these positions that are now coming back to bite us. One day's luxury is a necessity the next day. And I think those words are becoming a problem week four in the season. So I'm at a two. Um, I feel Joe Douglas, I'm a zero as well. And, and I'll tell you why. Um, like I said, I'm not going to hold it against him for not having a, a re- an awesome starting level fourth or fifth tackle. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, I'll say a one because he has I, I would say, you know, if we're grading concern versus job performance, like those are two different things. His yes. job performance has been far from perfect, mm-hmm. but I'm also not worried about that because yeah. GMs aren't perfect. Exactly. Like my thing is when people point out the mistakes he's made and maybe it's because our GMs have been so bad. I'm mm-hmm. like, you know what? We know like beyond the shadow of a doubt, every GM makes terrible decisions. Every GM drafts busts. Yep. Every GM has picks they wish they hadn't made yep. with Joe Douglas. I'm like, give me the list of things he's done. Well, the good players he's brought in. And compare that to past GMs, and I'm like, I have no problem with this guy. It far outweighs. Yep. I, I think I think the, the the young receivers, Moore and Wilson, are going to be phenomenal. Um, again, I don't think he's perfect, but I, I think you know, Sauce, as we said, and people are going to listen. People like they don't like a guy, so when they when you don't like a GM, he doesn't get credit for the top ten picks. Oh, those are easy. Those are easy, right? Because because Vernon Golston, right? That was super easy. Uh, you never miss in the top ten. Mm. You know, all the Jets' top ten picks have been awesome. Um, no, people miss in the top 10. So but if, if I if I stack his hits and misses against the last three or four GMs and their hits and misses, he is so far and above better than what they were that I'm not worried. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, I was already low on him, and I, I think two was even stretching it there. So zero doesn't surprise me. I think, like you said, for as much bad as there has been like thrown at him, He's made a lot of good. Like, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to use the phrase, you know, and curse again, but he's turned this team from really bad to at least somewhat manageable on paper. Obviously, we haven't seen the results, and then that becomes coaching, but it's just exactly. it's tough. And we need to we need to be a little bit more patient as a f- collective yeah. fan base, but that's hard because these and I'm, I'm a young person. So I have We've the, been the for a very long time. Well, I have the advantage of not being a fan for as long as, you know, the old heads that have been yeah. there for since that, that grew up 34 in the 70s. years. I've been following this team. Exactly. And I, I don't know if you were around for the Super Bowl. I don't think you were. So it's like, that's the toughest situation to be in. You've been there since everything, but the Super Bowl. you know what I mean? Like, so that's it. I, I understand it and I get it. So my panic meter is low and I expected it to be low, but I'm not surprised by any of your numbers. Um, back to the game. Obviously, we're just going to knock it out of here without giving our, our uh, predictions. Um, I had one quick stat before I gave my my final prediction. Pittsburgh, their total uh, turnover differential is plus three. That's fifth in the league. The Jets are minus four and that's 29th in the league. So, like I said, take the ball out of Zach Wilson's hands, limit the mistakes, fumbles. I mean, you can't help a fumble with Tyler Conklin, Brees Hall. You can't help those fumbles, but you can help interceptions. And not throwing the ball 50 times is the recipe to success. I have Pittsburgh, unfortunately, winning until we see results. 20-17, to 17, it's going to be close. I think Pittsburgh's offense is pretty putrid. Their offensive coordinator should probably be fired by the end of the year. And Mitch Trubisky is not enough to move the needle for me. So I'm going to say 20 to 17 loss, but the Jets actually come out and look like a competent team for once this year. Yeah, I'm in the same ballpark. 2013 Steelers, because I think Zach's going to be rusty and it's a tough game on the road. But if they come out and run it well and Zach just hits on a couple of throws, this is a game I'm picking them to lose. But it's a winnable game if they if if they run it well and Zach is sharp enough to keep the defense honest. Yep. All right, we have two minutes left. We can run a little bit over and talk about our college matchup of the week. I only have one to bring to the table, so we can be quick with that and then sign off and and call it a week there. So I'll go first. My matchup is actually two top ten teams. Um, I'll, I'll try not to talk about you know the big teams that are killing it every single week, but I feel like until we get deeper into the draft cycle, I'm not going to know the deep names. I'm not going to. I don't expect anybody else to know the deep names either. So I'm not going to you know go crazy with that. My, my matchup is NC State at Clemson. I brought up a Clemson player last year, Miles Murphy, or last week, rather, Miles Murphy, and I thought he was producing, but not at the clip we wanted him to produce at. And so I did a little bit deeper uh, dive on the entire roster, and Clemson has a ton of talented players. Um, their, their top three defensive guys, Miles Murphy, 
uh, edge rusher, Brian Brzee, defensive tackle, Trenton Simpson's a linebacker. Those are your main three guys. And then on offense, their skill position. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I forgot one on defense. Jeremiah Trotter Jr., son of Jeremiah Trotter Sr. from, I believe it was Washington and Philadelphia. Eagles. Yeah, Eagles. Eagles, yeah. And, and uh, so Jeremiah Trotter actually is doing really well, too. He has 12 tackles, a tackle and a half. Uh Behind the line of scrimmage, an interception and two passes deflected. What year is he in? I think he is – oh, shoot, I didn't write it down. Yes, I did. He's a sophomore, so he's not eligible okay. this year. But I was I just curious because I'm going to go watch him now because yeah. I was a big Jeremiah Trotter guy. Yeah, exactly. But the three guys I mentioned before, they're all um, draft eligible. And then obviously Brzee, have- I like all those guys you mentioned, but Brzee – I, one of the one of the Clemson games I watched last year, he just took over. He was dominant. Yeah, and, and Brzee, shout out to him. Um, he missed a game this year. He's only yeah. played three out of four games. Um, his sister Ella passed away. I believe she was fifteen. She died of. I remember um, that being cancer. a story during the game last so year. So he he obviously had a, a reason not to play um, two weeks ago. But then he came back against Wake Forest, and they went into double overtime. And he had a pass deflection on second or third down and long, and it really like set up the game. And then you see his dad in the in the stands. He's like chirping at wet. Wake Forest guys telling him to get out of the stadium and I just I love that and I know it's like you know bad sportsmanship to a degree but like after all they've been through like yeah he, they, he has deserve, some blow off. they deserve a little bit of of like a, a glory moment exactly so those are those are definitely my guys um they have a, a a wide receiver on offense Bo Collins he's only a sophomore dude's killing it this year 218 yards four touchdowns 16.8 yards per carry they have or yards per catch they have 15 three wide receivers, excuse me, over 15 yards per catch. That's just insane numbers. DJ Uyunglele is slinging it all over the yard. He has 10 touchdowns, one interception, 169 mm. yards on the ground. So he's a big turnaround from last year for Clemson. And then, I was going to say, he didn't look that good last year when no, I watched No, he didn't. Him. He looked really bad last year, like Rattler bad. <laughs> and and they're going up against NC State. And I wanted to, to lead with NC State because they were the team that I, I actually was diving in on when I saw they were playing Clemson. They have a quarterback. I'm curious because my, fir- my first player is an NC State player. I'm curious Uh-oh. who you say here. They have a quarterback, and obviously the Jets yes. don't need a quarterback. But Devin Leary, he's 6'1", 212. Again, he's – Killing it just like DJ, 64% completion percentage, 890 yards, nine touchdowns, and two interceptions. Um, I'm not exactly sure if he's going to make it to that Sunday quarterback NFL level, but he definitely has flashes of I can play on Sundays. I'm not sure if that's going to result in a first, second, third round pick we saw last year with the quarterbacks. It's very iffy. But I think Devin Leary, if he has a good game against this tough Clemson defense with a stint with a questionable secondary. Devin Leary can really put himself back on the map of quarterbacks this year. Um, sticking with offense, they have a running back who's actually a redshirt freshman. Uh, they call him Demi Sumo. I'm not going to try to pronounce his full last name. He's six foot, 210. He's got 252 yards and three touchdowns on the ground and 102 yards in the air with another touchdown. And it's a redshirt freshman leading the team in scrimmage yards. So he's absolutely killing it. They have a pair of wide receivers, Devin Carter. He's averaging 13 yards a catch with a touchdown on nine catches. And their slot receiver has 217 yards and two touchdowns. His name is Thayer Thomas. So those are the, the offensive guys I'm watching. He, I and, forget which game last year Thayer Thomas really jumped out at me. Yeah, I, I made some notes on him. He's a guy, and yeah, I wasn't sure yeah. if he's going to declare or not. I believe he's a senior. So mm. he's one that I'm really keeping an eye on. And then defensively, the main guy was Peyton Wilson. He's a linebacker. He only played three games this year. Um, I believe our lads had him rated as the top rated player on their defense. Um, I looked at his stats. He wasn't impressing too much. I believe he only had, yeah, 13 tackles and a half tackle for loss. So I feel like whatever it is that our lads is seeing, I didn't necessarily see it when I saw NC State's defense. I like highlighting offensive players, but I didn't really see it from Wilson, but I had to sneak him in there because if he is the top rated guy, like our lads says, Jets need linebacker help. I think they do. So Peyton Wilson it, was a guy that I wanted to mention. It, it Well, it's really funny you you mentioned NC State and Peyton Wilson. Peyton Wilson was the guy, one of the top guys I was going to be watching this year. Missed last year with an injury. Okay. Um, and I thought he got – I thought he had another serious injury in the opener Uh-oh. this year. I could be wrong. Uh, maybe it wasn't a serious – I saw him get hurt, and he kind of fell off my radar. I was like, oh, that's two years in a row, serious injury. When he, he plays, he, he is a monster. Yeah, it the said monster. he did miss a game this year. He had only played three games, so I'm checking okay. right now. Yeah, um, 
But his teammate, though, his fellow linebacker, Isaiah Moore, watch him. That's okay. who, like those two guys together, which like a tandem I was really looking forward to watching this year. Mm. And that's the player I had when I said I had an NC State player. Uh, linebacker uh, Isaiah Moore, keep an eye on him. Okay. Um, a, another linebacker who I I big fan of, um, Kansas State linebacker Daniel Green. Uh, middle linebacker um, who is, again, he's one of those little bit undersized, but I feel like most, you know, when we say undersized at linebacker, that's like compared to traditional linebackers, like sure. linebackers are just getting smaller and quicker. Yep. Um, you know, it used to be every linebacker was like six feet, you know, six foot and taller. And now they're all five ten, five eleven. 11. Um, and I think that's what green is. Green is sort of five ten, five eleven. but big hitter, instinctive guy, always around the ball. Um, and then one guy on offense, Utah tight end Dalton Kincaid. They're taking on yeah. Oregon State. He was a guy that I wanted to keep an eye on. I can't remember exactly which game. I, there was a Utah game I watched last year, and I was like, oh, let me take this guy's name down because he made a couple of impressive plays, looked like a, a guy who could block and catch big targets, 6'5". Um, and it looks like Kincaid's off to a strong start this year. I watched um, Arizona State, Utah earlier. He made a fantastic touchdown. He had one touchdown catch on a flea flicker where he was just wide open. Um, mm-hmm. And then he had another one where he had a couple defenders around him, one right in front of him. The ball went through the defender's hands. Kincaid, you know, good concentration, held on to the ball. So, yeah, um, I'm going with Utah's head end, Dalton Kincaid, K-State linebacker Daniel Green, and NC State linebacker Isaiah Moore. Hell, yeah. And Dalton Kincaid was somebody who I um, watched in the, the summer. I tried to watch, like, the projected top ten teams. So Utah was obviously one of them. And then I tried to watch their best offensive and defensive player, from each side of the ball. Right. And Dalton Kincaid is Utah's best offensive player, in my opinion. And and they use him in a very similar light to how Jeremy Ruckert was used at Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I think he has a little bit more pass production, but I think the way that they used him is so great. And I love watching tight ends like that because that's what the Jets want. So to see, I'm glad you mentioned Dalton Kincaid because I was eventually going to mention him. But yeah, he's one of my favorites. I have him as like a rough third round grade now, right. but mid, that's mid perfect rounder. spot for him because Ruckert was the 89th overall pick. So. Yeah. You're right in that bucket of a Jeremy Rucker. That's cool with me. Yeah, I, I, I love the guys that you named. I can't wait. I'll watch Isaiah Moore and uh, Daniel Green. I did have Isaiah him Moore, man. I'm looking forward to that one. He's that's yeah. a night game. So I didn't I'm have him in my database, one. but I do have uh, the uh, K State Daniel's Green. Uh, Daniel Green. So I, I was alert on him, but I didn't know anything about him. So I'm glad that you were able to bring him to the table. Yep, so. absolutely. All right, uh, Jets fans. I really appreciate you uh, sticking with us. I know we're trying to tweak this time management thing. Glenn and I, we love to talk. So we, uh, we'll, we'll catch you next week. Um, let's hope that they can just do something against the Pittsburgh Steelers. This is the get right game. It, they, they can look at it like a get right game against us, but we're looking at it right back as a get right game. And yep. I think that this is going to be the turning point of the season for good or bad. Next week's going to be a, a crazy show if they lose. And, and uh, I hope everybody's ready because if they win, We're going to be right back up on top of the mountain like all Jets fans are. So until next week, I really appreciate everybody tuning in. For Jet Nation Live, Glenn Naughton, Dylan Terriman, have a good one, and let's go Jets. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.